He lived from about 1865 to 1936. He wrote poetry. He authored books like Captain Courageous, How the Leopard Got His Spots, and The Jungle Books. How many of you have read some of Rudyard Kipling's writings before? Many of us have. Kipling's writings not only made him famous, but also, as you can imagine, brought him a fortune. Newspaper reporter came up to him one day and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read that somebody calculated that the money that you make from your writings amounts to about $100 a word. Now, we look at that today and we're thinking, man, that's just pocket change uh, for what authors make per word today. And so the reporter reached into his pocket and he pulled out a $100 bill and he said, here's a $100 bill, Mr. Kipling. Now, I want you to give me one of your $100 words. Kipling looked at the money, put it in his pocket and said, thanks. Six little letters that send a huge message. We live in a culture today where it is ingrained into us that what we are to do during this time of the year is we're to stop and we're to give thanks. But as we realize as citizens of God's kingdom... We realize that's not just something we do right now. That is an attitude. That is a spirit that should be a part of my life every day. But I wonder, have we been so ingrained in culture that we're allowing culture to dictate to us that that's the way it ought to be instead of, as citizens of God's kingdom, realizing that we are the ones that make the world a better place. We are the ones that make the world a brighter place by being called out and being different and living that kind of life before those around us. I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we come to a section of Luke's gospel where Jesus is speaking to his disciples about some things that really, really matter. He's preparing them for the time when he's no longer going to be with them and that they would be ministering to others in his place. I mean, it was a very critical period in their lives because on one hand, they're holding on, not really believing that he's really going to go, And they're also wondering, what in the world am I going to do when he is not visibly present in my sight? What am I going to do? And we look at that today and we begin to realize over in John chapter 16, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, it is for your good that you let me go. Because when I go, I'm going to send my comforter to you. When I go, I'm going to send one Holy Spirit that will be with you everywhere that you go. Have you looked at the Spirit that way lately? Have you looked at God's Spirit as one that's a counselor to us? You think about it. Everywhere that you go in your life, you take the name of Jesus with you. 
You take God with you, and he gives us that counselor, his spirit, to be with us in those critical times. And so here in Luke 17, he gives lessons on forgiveness, on faithfulness, on thankfulness that we're going to look at in a a moment, and then this attitude that you better be prepared in the life that you're living right now. And so really, when you stop and think about it, I think one of the messages that we get from this passage is this. Nothing less than heartfelt praise and thanks is fitting when we stop and consider all that Jesus has done for us. When is the last time when you've just stopped in your prayer life just to simply say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done in my life. And as we have sung the song this morning, thank you for all that you're going to do. Because the work of God is not complete, is it, church? The work of God goes on in our lives. And he continues to minister to us in some very vital ways. And so I invite us to stand this morning for the reading of God's word that will take place from Luke chapter 17. Let's stand please, for the reading of God's Word. Hear these words this morning from Luke's Gospel. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he's going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. Let's say this together, church. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And so Father, I pray that you be with us this morning as we dive in to your word. And Father, I pray that you will pour over me the gift of preaching and teaching. That we, Father, may see ourselves in this passage. That we may see what you have done through our lives. And how you have called us to stop and to give thanks more and more. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. And may God bless us as we have heard that word this morning. And may he bless us as we put it into practice in our lives. And all of God's people together said, Amen. What is so significant, you can be seated, about these lepers is the fact that one out of ten returned to say thanks. It was risky business at that point to do what these lepers did. But it's been said that today on average, 
Nine out of ten people never really stop to give thanks for what they have. I know we have a lot of teachers in our midst today. Teachers, I wonder how many times in a given day, not a week, but a given day that you have to remind your students that you teach to stop and say, thank you. We live in a world, raise your hand, do we do that? Parents, do we remind our kids on an ongoing basis, what do you say? Thank you. You know, it's one of those things where it's that dreaded thing that we're, we have to stop and say, but when you stop and think about it, we ingrain that into our kids because we want them to grow up and to be raised with an attitude that always says, thank you. We live in a society today where we see more and more that people just think that, they, that people owe them something. You just, what are you going to do for me today? What have you done for me lately? This passage turns that all around to help us realize, put it in perspective. Look at what God has done for you because of his son, Jesus. So I want you to notice the leper's condition. They stood at a distance, verse 12 says. Having, having leprosy in biblical times was a horrible disease. It was the most feared illness of the day. Besides just being painful, they were literally cast out and completely avoided by everyone. They were told, and this was the law, they had to keep a distance of about six feet or about a hundred paces from anybody else. And so here's what would happen. They had to exclude themselves and shut themselves off from family, from friends, and even in this context, even God, because they were not allowed in that sense to enter the temple because they had leprosy. So they were swept into into isolated colonies and they required that when anyone ventured too close, they would cry out in humiliation, unclean, unclean. So I'm looking at Jimmy right now about that pace and if I see Jimmy coming, I cry out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, to warn all of you to do what? Stay away from this man, okay? Now, you put yourself in the leper condition. You hear that scream toward you, how do you respond to that? How do you reply and how do you react to something when you know, boy, all attention is given to you And it basically says, you just stay as far away from this person as you possibly can. Lepers were not allowed to live within the walls of any city. If you were a leper, you essentially lost everything you had. And when you stop and think about it, we've got it so good, we can't even imagine that, can we? Think about how they felt inside. Their hearts are completely full of sorrow, having been banished from society as well as their own families. And so in a physical sense, here's what I want you to see. Lepers were regarded as outcasts, away from blessings, away from love, away from being accepted. And so spiritually speaking, we look at it, the same can be true of us apart from Jesus. Leprosy is a picture of sin and what Satan wishes to do 
to every one of us. What Satan wants to do is he wants to keep you in that condition. He wants to keep you as far away from a holy God as he can. And so from that sense, I'm not trying to equate leprosy with sin, but the similarities between the two are so great. You think about it. Like a leper, we were isolated from true intimacy. Like the leper, we were treated as an outcast. Like a leper, we were in the process of losing everything to sin. Like a leper, we're being destroyed by that which was in our bodies, the law of sin and death. But as we see over in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, at just the right time when we were still powerless, what does Christ do? He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Just the right time. God saw this is not working. I've got to send my son to the cross to pay the, to pay the penalty of sin. And so here's what I want us to understand this morning. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus died to save you from hell. Now let that sink in for a minute. He died to save you from your sin. Because the truth of the matter is this. If he can't save you from sin, he surely can't save you from hell. Folks, our greatest problem has always been and always will be our sin. Praise God. At just the right time, Jesus comes to take care of the sin problem. Jesus comes to pay the penalty for us. His timing is always right. And what we have to do in our life every day, wait on the timing of God. Wait for the God's timing to be revealed to your heart because it will come. How do we know that? By faith, we understand that he's not going to leave us out to dry. He's coming after us in a perfect way. So notice the leper's cry in verse 13. Jesus, master, what's the cry? Have pity on us or have mercy on us. This was all they could do. No doctor could heal them. No medicine could cure them. Didn't matter how much money you had. They understood that the only way they were ever going to find healing would be by the mercy of Jesus. You know what? In your condition, in my condition this morning, we can go out and we can grab hold of all this world has to offer us and it's still not going to cure us spiritually. And we have people today, and sometimes we even fall prey to this, we find ourselves involved in everything under the sun thinking that it's going to save us, that it's going to make us feel better, that it's going to do this and that and the other. But really, what we need to do is the same thing that this leper does. We need to fall to the feet of Jesus 
and yell, have mercy on me. Where are you this morning? Are you searching? Are you grabbing? Are you trying to take hold of everything the world has to offer? Or are you really stopping to give thanks to the one who created us and to his son who died on that cruel cross for our life? And yet there's so many today who are willing to say, Jesus, Master, show me another miracle. Jesus, Master, show me a sign. Jesus, Master, display your power. Crush my enemies. Get me out of this mess. And you know what? He can do all of that and a whole lot more. But really, the thing that we need to cry out more and more is Jesus, Master, praise be to the God for all that you have done in my life. When's the last time you stopped? Just to say, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that I've got to have. I need it more and more. So do you see the faith that these men had? You notice that Jesus didn't reach out and touch them. He didn't say, be healed. What does he say? Go show yourselves to the priest. Because that's what the law commanded. Because the priest would inspect them and give them a clean bill of health so they could rejoin their families and communities and reenter life again. And so think about it. If they didn't have faith in what Jesus said, they would have run to him and bowed down and begged for a miracle. But you notice, they didn't ask for another miracle. What they asked for? Mercy. Have mercy on me. They didn't question the command of Jesus. They believed it. And they walked away and did what they were told to do. True faith is really about believing the promises of God with assurance that what he has said will take place. That what he has said will be done. And so, really, when you stop and think about it, there's a choice for us. We're either going to have faith in his promises or we're not. And at that point, we can expect to experience anything special from the Lord if we live our lives by faith. Now, without faith... It is impossible to please God. By faith, all things are possible. And notice in verse 15 and following, notice the leper's celebration. The leper came back, Molly, you're going to love this, praising God in a loud voice. Molly's context is, that's woohoo, okay? He came celebrating. He came back in a loud way, and he does that because he's giving thanks and he's giving praise to the very one and the only one who deserved it. And he cried out in mercy, and he's glorifying God in that sense. 
Ron Hutchcraft says this about the need for thankfulness. He says, when we stop praising God, we start forgetting God. And when we forget the kind of God that we have, we start wondering and we start getting hurt. And we are much more likely to take matters into our own hands and we start to panic and we get impatient and we get discouraged or we get depressed. But he says, the more you train yourselves to be a praiser, the less mistakes you're going to make, the less regrets you're going to have, you lose so much when you forget. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe we have forgotten what it's like to praise God. I wish all of you could have witnessed last night what Wayne Kirby and I witnessed around Becky Webb's bed. All of you know Becky is a woman of faith, is a woman of pure joy. And she loves to praise the Lord. And so around her bedside last night, we read scripture, we sang songs, we listened to some praise songs being sung. And as the family members and as we were holding Becky's hands, she would squeeze our hands. She was praising God. And I would venture to say that she was praising God in a way that we have never experienced. It was a beautiful, beautiful sight. Now people on the outside could look at us and say, what in the world are you doing? How could you do this in a time when someone is about to pass? But then on the other side, the side of faith, we stop and we're reminded that is all we can do is stop and praise God for life here and there. And at that moment, you begin to realize all the little things that we bicker about in this world, folks, they mean absolutely zilch. They mean absolutely nothing in a moment like that. And maybe that is God reminding us, this is really the way that I want my children to live all the time. Not just around somebody's bedside when they're about to pass, but every day of life, live it to the glory and the praise of the one who brought life to you. Too often we're content to enjoy the gift and forget the giver. We're quick to pray, but we're slow to praise. And here... These lepers, here's a testimony of God's mercy and goodness. And his response was to fall at the feet of Jesus and thank him. But as this passage closes, you know what grieves the heart of Jesus? Look at the series of questions. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Think about it, church. There's times in our life where we're the nine and we're looking at the one. Same on us. We need to have a heart that says, I want to be like this one. I want to trade places. I want to be like this one. Because Jesus' heart is, I'm glad the one's here, but where are the others? Where are the others? And we have a responsibility. As we're citizens of his kingdom, we have a responsibility to do better. And to live like he expects us to live. To act like he expects us to act. To praise like he expects us to praise. And so I invite you to stand this morning and I want to leave you with this thought. We're going to sing a song of invitation and I want you to think about your own heart and your own walk this morning. And I love this statement that a woman who was seeking to get right with God, here's what she said. If Jesus ever saves me, he will never hear the end of it. To that, I say, praise God and amen. Amen, church? If he ever saves me, he'll never hear the end of it. Now, how you respond to that, only you can decide. And I think I know where your heart is. Let's show the world this week that we really belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's praise him as we continue to worship.